Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, as we are continuing our studies in the life of Christ, and in particular, we're focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached, and this morning's topic is our prayers, our prayers. Last week, we looked at our giving, but this morning in uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, we'll be looking at our prayers. John MacArthur said this about prayer. He said, none of us can comprehend exactly how prayer functions within the infinite mind and plan of God. The Calvinistic view emphasizes God's sovereignty and in its extreme application holds that God will work according to his perfect will, regardless of the way men pray or even whether they pray or not. Prayer is nothing more than tuning in to God's will. At the opposite extreme, the Arminian view holds that God's actions pertaining to us are determined largely on the basis of our prayers. On the one hand, prayer is seen simply as a way of lining up with God regarding what he has already determined to do. And the other, on the other, it is beseeching God to do whatever or what he otherwise would not do. Scripture supports both of these views and holds them as it were intention. The Bible is unequivocal about God's absolute sovereignty, but it's equally unequivocal in declaring that within his sovereignty, God calls on people, on his people, to beseech him in prayer, to implore his help in guidance, provision, protection, mercy, forgiveness, and countless other needs. It is neither required nor possible to fathom the divine working that makes prayer effective. God simply commands us to obey the principles of prayer that his word gives. Our Lord's teaching in the present passage contains some of those principles. Jesus gave some really helpful counsel on prayer in his Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at it at Jesus's counsel regarding prayer. Jesus here warns us how not to pray and he instructs us how to pray correctly. And so that's what we're going to cover this morning. So let's begin now in chapter 6 with verse 5. And Jesus said, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now notice it says, Jesus said, and when you pray, he didn't say, um, if you pray, or, you know, I, I don't know if you pray, or I suggest that you pray. He said, when you pray, the inference is he expects us to pray. We should pray as his people. Jesus starts his counsel here on prayer by denouncing, by condemning hypocrites, what they do when they pray. Jesus begins by saying, you shall not be like hypocrites. And two times now, Jesus has told us, don't be hypocrites. And in verse 7, he says, don't do like the heathen. So he's, he's inferring here that the heathen and the religious person are hypocrites. All, all of this assumes that God's people are to be different in character and service. Why? Because they are God's people. God doesn't want his people behaving like the devil, not just in prayer, but in anything that we do. So why do hypocrites pray? 
Well, Jesus tells us, he says, that they may be seen by men. They just like to be seen by men. Jesus here was showing us these men's hearts. And God knows what's in our hearts. God knows the hearts of men. So he knows our motive in the things that we do for him. George, George MacDonald wrote this. Half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. The name that Jesus gave to this practice is hypocrisy, which simply means wearing a mask, playing the actor. Hypocrisy is deliberate deception, trying to make people think that we're more spiritual than we really are. And I think of Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. When they thought, oh, we want to give all of this money, and it says they held some back. You know, they wanted to look spiritual. They wanted to look godly, but they were being hypocrites. Hypocrites, again, hypocrisy, again, is deliberate deception. These hypocrites Jesus is talking about only prayed for one thing, the admiration of people, not for anything else. They wanted to be seen by people. They wanted to be known as spiritual and, and godly people. Jesus said they loved to, st- to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. And it wasn't because they loved to pray, but they loved to pray where everybody could see them, which explains their reason for praying. They loved standing in the synagogues. They loved standing on the corners of the streets. Now, it is not wrong to pray in public. And Jesus wasn't saying here that it was. What Jesus was condemning was praying to get people's attention. Look at me. To be seen and to be praised by people. And once again, Jesus said, I say to you, they have their reward. When people see them praying, out, praying in the synagogue or out on the street corner and the people are going, oh, look at, look at how holy they are. Look at how, how, how religious they are. That's their reward. That's it. They, they got what they were looking for. Just like those who did their charitable deeds to be seen of men. They have their reward. That's all they can expect when they get to heaven. Verse 6. Jesus says, But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret, secret will reward you openly. So Jesus said, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The bottom line here is that wherever you pray, in secret or out in the open, it has to be real. It has to be real from the heart. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, in verse 7 here, Jesus says a couple of things about the way heathens prayed. First of all, praying vain repetitions. And now be clear again, it's not wrong to repeat a prayer. Jesus did it in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. So it's not the repetition itself that Jesus condemns. It's the vain repetition, just going through the motions, just to get it out there and get it over with. Vain uh, repetitions, according to uh, Zodiati's word studies, He describes vain repetitions as this. It means to speak foolishly, babble, too much much talk without content, repeating the same thing over and over again, useless speaking without distinct expression of purpose as contrasted to succinct, knowledgeable speech. 
And I can think of a good example uh, is, is when I was growing up in, in, in the Catholic Church. And after confession, the priest would say, okay, go out there and, and say, you know, ten Our Fathers and five Hail Marys. Well, I went out there and I said them as fast as I could to get out of there. <laughs> our Father, when art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that was it. That was just wrote, just mechanical, got them done and got out. There was, there was nothing sincere about those prayers. There was nothing heartfelt about that prayer. But that's what I did. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Those, those vain repetitions, you know, it's not again the, the asking over, but it's the way. You go through the motion without any emotions, no sincerity, nothing heartfelt. Jesus said, they think that they will be heard for their many words. They think that with these repetitions, you know, God is more likely to hear their prayers, but it doesn't help. The repetition will not impress anyone, and especially not God. I mean, we don't talk to each other like that, do we? Why should we talk to God that way? It's really nothing more than a mechanical repetition. It's something that you can, you can program a robot to do. It's an insult to God, and Jesus condemns it. It does not ensure that God hears our prayers at all. So it really makes null and void your praying. God is not interested or impressed with our robotic type of praying. Jesus said in John 14, 13, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified. You see, we are called, as God's people, we are called to be different. Look at verse 8. Therefore... That therefore is, is pointing us back to what Jesus just said. Therefore, do not be like them. Those that he talked about in verses 5 through 7. Don't be like them. For your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. This is the second time that Jesus mentions that as Christians, we are to act differently than the unbelieving world. Christians should be noticeably different in their person, and in their worship of God. But the focus here is on being different in the way that we pray. And when Christians pray, they should show this difference in a big way by not using the worldly practices in their prayer life. God forbids the use of these vain repetitions of the Lord's Prayer. If you think of yourself as being one of God's people... Then be careful to follow God's word when it comes to not only praying, but everything that we do or else our praying our praying or whatever else we do is in vain. It, it, it's, it doesn't matter. Jesus said, for your father knows the things that you need, that you have need of even before you ask him. God is omniscient. He's all knowing. So he knows all of our needs even before we go to him in prayer. Now, knowing that, some people read this and say, well, then why should we pray? If God knows everything that I need before I even ask, why should I ask? You know, we don't need to pray. But this doesn't say that at all. This is not what Jesus means here. And in many places in the Bible, Jesus has exhorted people to pray. Just because God knows what we're in need of isn't any reason not to pray. So God's omniscience is not an excuse for not praying. Jesus said to stop praying repetitiously, not to stop praying. 
We don't have to repeat something over and again, over again, so that God gets the hint. Hey, Lord, hey, hey, I need this. I don't know how many times I got to tell you. And just, again, with no feeling, no, no emotion. So then why do we pray? Well, we pray to show our dependence upon God for all things. We pray to show our devotion to God. We, we pray to show our desire for Him to help. You know, he, he's, he's our Heavenly Father. We're His child. And just like a parent, we basically know what our children need. They don't have to come and ask us for food. They don't have to come and ask us for a roof over the head. They don't have to come and ask us for clothes. We provide that for them because they know, we know that they need it. But we sure love for them to come and ask, don't we? Because we love their fellowship. We love them to come and to talk with us. And then in verses 9 through 13 now, Jesus counsels us about prayer. This is probably the most famous of all prayers, and a lot of people call it the Lord's Prayer, but it really isn't. It should really be called the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is found in John chapter 17. You see, this this model prayer, this prayer in verses 9 through 13, couldn't be the Lord's Prayer because parts of it cannot apply to Jesus. For example, when he says, forgive us our debts. What did Jesus have to be forgiven for? He had no sin. So again, this, this part of the prayer, it can apply to Jesus. So again, it, 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 the Lord's Prayer is in John 17. Now, let's look at verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 9 here. Again, uh, but again, uh, th- this prayer it, it, that Jesus gives us here uh, that he, it is a model or it's an example how to pray correctly. So beginning in verse 9, he says, In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Once again, Jesus is teaching man how to do something right. And if you want to find out how to do something right, go to the word of God. We see him do this all through the Old and New Testament, how to live right. God has given us so many examples in the Bible that we have no excuse for not knowing godly truth and for not knowing how to live right. That's why the Lord gave us the scriptures. Pay attention to this godly example because it will guide you in the right way and it will teach you the right way to do things. It will help you to honor God. Jesus said, here's how you pray. He said, therefore, again, pointing us back to what Jesus just said. He had been disapproving of the wrong way of praying. He said, therefore, he was going to show us a much better way to pray compared to what man was teaching. He said, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen does because they think they speak many words that they're going to be heard. Because he says, don't speak the vain repetitions because your father already knows the things that you need. Therefore, in this manner, pray. So again, the therefore emphasizes the fact that Jesus will teach us how to pray right, which will be a contrast, one of many, to the praying that he just condemned. Now, he says, uh, therefore, he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. Now, the word pray is a strong exhortation to pray. The word pray is basically a command. Praying is not an option. It is a divine command, and according to God's instruction, it's also an obligation. So this makes the matter of praying a very serious thing. 
And yet how many, or how few, I should say, people take praying seriously? Well, it's easy to come to that determination. All you have to do is look at all the prayer meetings and how, how few people attend them. You see, if people believe that God answered prayer, and if people took prayer seriously, they'd be full. Prayer meetings would be full. Most people don't pray regularly, and most people don't value prayer, though we say we do. We would dare not say we don't believe in prayer and that God doesn't answer prayer. But again, how we act towards prayer says it all. Oh, but when there's a crisis in our life, what's the first thing we do? Oh, God. We, we go to God immediately. Oh, put us on, we, we want our name on the prayer list. They ask for people to pray for them. But that still doesn't change the fact that they don't give much time and energy to prayer. It's only a panic reaction. I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. And I remember 9-11 when we were over at the theater. The, 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 prayer meet, the next prayer meeting that we had after 9-11, we had 70 people. That was bigger than the congregation. <laughs> well, people came from all over to pray that day. You can remember the, both, both parties, Republicans and, uh, Republicans and Democrats, they were holding hands on the steps of the White House, or I, I think it was the White House or wherever it was. They were, they were holding hands, praying for the country. Look at them now. They want to kill each other. Panic reaction. When the crisis is over, it's back to business. Ignoring their need to pray. But God has made prayer a requirement. And when God makes everything, anything a requirement, we need to take it seriously. Now, this sample prayer that Jesus gives us here wasn't meant to be Mainly a prayer that you had to follow word for word in vain rap repetition as it's often prayed. But it was a model that gave principles for praying. And again, it's not wrong to repeat this prayer word for word. But it's best to see this prayer as a, for lack of better words, a recipe, a guideline that should, that should make up our prayers. It's an outline that we're to fill in when we pray. And it starts out there in verse 9 by saying, Our Father in heaven. And I'm going to give you some little points to make next to each verse of this prayer as a guideline. So it starts out, Our Father in heaven. The first words in the prayer speak of our relationship to God. He's our Father, our Heavenly Father. Father speaks of a loving, close relationship with the one who has our best interest at heart. And who's interested in what we have to say. Our Father, it tells us clearly who we're to pray to. To God in heaven, our Father in heaven. No other beings of any kind, of any rank, so-called rank. We're not to pray to Mary. We're not to pray to Joseph. We're not to pray to any of the saints or anybody else. We're to pray to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, then Jesus said, and hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means to be made holy, reverenced, sanctified, set apart, so we're to honor and glorify the Father. Then, hallowed be your name. The word name refers to the person, the character, the attributes. 
The different names of God describe the person of God. Name speaks of the entire person, all that God is. So when you combine the two words, it means that God will be honored and glorified. So there is great reverence for God in this model prayer. So right there at at, at, at verse 9, we should put that prayer should begin with worship. Prayer should begin with worship. Look at verse 10 now. Then we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then next to verse 10, put down, pray for the will of God. Pray for the will of God. Your kingdom come is a reference to God's spiritual reign. It wasn't for, for Israel's freedom from Rome. God's kingdom was announced in the covenant with Abraham. It's present in Christ's reign in the believer's heart. And it will be complete when all evil is destroyed and God sets up the new heaven and earth in Revelation chapter 21. So this speaks of the will of God be done on earth and in my life. But before the kingdom of God can come into my heart, my kingdom has to go. My kingdom has to go. My will has to go before God's kingdom and his will can come. When we pray your will be done. Now, we're not just kind of resigning ourselves to fate. Oh, what's going to happen is going to happen. Your will be done. What, you know, what difference does it make? Again, we're not resigning ourselves to fate, but we're praying that God's perfect purpose will be accomplished in this world as well as in the next. And how does he accomplish his will on earth? He does it mostly through people who are willing to obey him. This part of the prayer allows us to offer ourselves as doers of God's will and asking him to guide us, to lead us, and to give us the means to accomplish his purposes. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse, uh, next to verse 11, it says, pray for our daily needs. Pray for the things that we need in our life. This prayer is about the resources of God. Pray for your needs. It's a prayer to God to supply what we need here to survive, our earthly needs. He's the one who has everything that we need. Paul said in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So when we ask God to give us our daily bread, we're recognizing that God is the one who sustains us. He's our sustainer. He's the provider. It's a mistake to think that we provide our own needs ourselves. And this part of the prayer isn't for God to supply me with what I need just for, a, for, a, for, a, for a, a, a year or to supply me for a year. Lord, stock, help stock me up. Because we'd rather have, uh, you know, a stockpile of, of what we need. We'd rather have, you know, security for a year than, than day by day. We want things to last for the rest of our life. We don't want to have to depend upon God every day. We don't don't like living one day at a time. But again, this part of the prayer isn't for God to supply me with what I need uh, for a year, but just for one day at a time. Lord, just get me through this day. Meet my need today, Lord. We have to trust God every day to provide what he knows that we need. And I think we have a good picture of that when the children were going through the wilderness. God provided manna for them every single day for 40 years. They had to go out every day and get what they needed to survive. 
It's a picture of God providing for us every day and the picture of that fellowship that God wants us to have with him every day. This is what the the prayer is emphasizing here. It's emphasizing living by faith, which is an everyday dependence upon God. Give us our bread, our daily bread. Bread here indicates our needs as opposed to what we want. Paul said in Philippians that he'll supply all of your need, not all of your wants. Bread was common. It was a common thing to the Jewish people. It was part of the people's daily diet. It wasn't a luxury. It was ordinary. It wasn't special. Too many prayers are for the things that we want but don't need. They're prayed for the pleasures of our flesh. And then some people complain that God doesn't answer their prayers. Well, what is it you're praying for? Is it in line with the will of God? James says in James 4.3, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then sometimes we use prayer as a smokescreen to hide our true desires. Oh, well, I prayed about it. That can be one of the biggest excuses a Christian can use. Instead of seeking God's will, we tell God what we want him to do. And then we get angry with him if he doesn't do it. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Next to verse 12, put down forgiveness of sins. We need to pray for the forgiveness of sins. This prayer is for divine forgiveness of our sins. Because our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sins. We need forgiveness of sins for salvation. We need forgiveness of sins for fellowship. We need forgiveness of sins for prayer. Because as the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Psalm 66, 18. If I'm holding uh, sin in my heart, if, if there's sin in my heart, when I go to prayer, God's not listening. I got to get rid of that, that unforgiveness in my heart. Confessing that we need forgiveness of sin, it's humbling. It's humbling to say, I messed up. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Lord, forgive me. No one can truly pray for forgiveness of sins without being humble. And a lot of people will not be saved because they're not willing to admit that they're a sinner. And even Christians, many times unwilling to to say, Lord, forgive me for this and that because, you know, we don't want to humble ourselves and say that, that I was wrong, that I sinned. They deserve me being angry. They deserve what I said to them. No. Lord, I blew it. I'm, I'm, I sinned. Forgive me. Pride keeps people from confessing their sins. And Jesus said we are to ask for forgiveness as we forgive our debtors. What this means is that we have to have a forgiving spirit if we want to be forgiven. For the sinner, forgiveness is possible because of the blood that Jesus Christ shed upon the cross at Calvary. Now, the blood of Jesus Christ forgives us of all sin if we confess it to him. But you see, forgiveness won't come to the sinner unless he or she asks for forgiveness. And they ask with the right attitude. Not just because, yeah, I know I was wrong and Lord forgive me. No, I, I, I was it was a it was a bad thing. It was a bad attitude that I that I did this with. 
And a right attitude, I have to come and ask for forgiveness. And a right attitude means a forgiving attitude. No one truly seeks forgiveness who doesn't have a forgiving spirit themselves. And we can't expect for our prayers of forgiveness to be heard. If you're praying for something and maybe you're not getting an answer, you have to look, hey, am I holding something? Am I angry at somebody? Am I just at, at sin in my heart? Like I said, we can't expect our prayers of forgiveness to be heard if we're praying with malice and spite in our hearts towards somebody else. And to pray this way is just going through the motions with the wrong emotions. It's hypocrisy. It's like you're saying, ah, don't forgive me at all. Our prayer is nothing without love. And we can't expect to be forgiven if we can't forgive. And you know what? Many times it's not that we can't. It's that we won't. And there's a huge difference between can't and won't. And God knows that difference. Verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, first of all, when the prayer, when Jesus says pray that, 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 that he doesn't lead us into temptation, this does not suggest that God might lead us into some evil and that we should pray that he doesn't. Never blame God for temptation, or I should say, again, especially for falling into temptation. But God never leads us into temptation. He's too holy to be uh, tempted, and he's too loving to tempt other people. But he does tell us in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, don't say, God is tempting me. Because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anybody else to do wrong. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires then give birth to sinful actions. You see, when we, we, temp, you know, we're going to be tempted in this life. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. It's what you do when that temptation comes. Do I entertain that thought? Do I play with the idea of that temptation that the enemy is tempting with? Because if I play with that thought and I entertain that thought, pretty soon I'm going to get engaged in that action. And that's what James is saying. This prayer is saying that we want to be led correctly. Lord, lead us in the correct way. It's asking God to lead us in the right direction, to be righteous in our walk. And God will answer this prayer because it is according to his will. And he wants us to walk the right path. He wants us to walk the narrow road. So we need to pray this prayer if we're going to succeed in walking on the right path because the right path is not an easy one, as we all know. This prayer is not asking God to keep me from trials and it's not asking God to keep me from suffering. It's a prayer that's asking to escape from sin. Sometimes God does allow us to be tempted by some temptation. He allows us to be tempted, but He's not the one bringing the temptation. And as disciples... We should pray to be delivered from these temptations, these trying times, and to pray for deliverance from Satan, which is said here, the evil one. And to pray to to not be defeated by the evil one, that we will get victory over any temptations. 
All Christians struggle with temptation. That is a given. Because we live in a cursed world. This is Satan's world. This is his playground. And we're living it. We're just pilgrims passing through. But we live in it and we're going to be assaulted in it. We're going to be worn out in this world by the evil that's all around us. And we have to admit, hey man, I am not equipped in myself to deal with the evil that's around me. We need to confess, man, our flesh is weak. And I am totally powerless when it comes to my own resources to fight sin and to, and, and to rescue myself from the hole that it has on me. And above all, we confess our need for the protection and the deliverance of our loving Heavenly Father. And you know what? Temptation sometimes is so subtle that we don't even realize what's happening to us. That's what happens when a person backslides. The sin is so subtle. And it's justified. And it keeps going and it keeps going until one day I find myself laid out flat on my back and I go how did I get here Lord hey it was just a subtle sin every day that again that you eventually succumb to the Bible tells us Genesis 3 1 the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made he knows how to get to you But thank God that God has promised that He will not allow us to be tempted more than we can handle. So we need to ask God to help us. Ask God to help you recognize temptation and to give you the strength to overcome it and choose God's way instead. And then Jesus ends the prayer with this. For yours is the kingdom and the power for God and the glory forever. Amen. Notice, the last part of this model prayer focuses on the greatness and the glory of God. So this model prayer gives praise for God, notice, at the beginning, and gives praise for God at the end. So you should begin and end your prayer with praise. Our our prayer should begin with praise and worship and end in praise and worship. And the glory of God should be the main focus, the main theme in our prayers. Because as we said earlier, the main purpose of our lives is to glorify God. Paul said in everything that we do, we're to glorify God. We're not to pray to God just to get stuff. To get what I need uh, or what I want, but, but also to give glory to God. Prayer isn't just asking. Prayer is to also include adoration and prayer and praise as well as asking. And if you have to shorten your prayer, you know what? Shorten your laundry list. Lord, I need this. I want this. I want that. No. Praise you. Worship you. Glory to you, God. Spend the time praising Him. Worship Him. Give Him praise. Give, it an, give praise and worship an important place in your prayers. Why is he so so worthy of so much praise? Because it says, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. This speaks of the power of God. It speaks of the magnificence of God. It speaks uh, of the eternal nature of God. And this praise is a great testimony of who God is. And our prayer should always give a good testimony of our God. 
And our prayers should reflect good Bible doctrine. Our prayers should be in line with Scripture or they won't be good prayers. Father, we thank you for this beautiful word here on, on prayer and the warnings against how, to, uh, how not to pray and the instructions on how to pray, God. And Father, help us to be, first of all, help us to pray more and help us to, to, to pray better, Lord. Father, that we would be in line with this beautiful model prayer, God. That we'd be in line with your will, Father. And Lord, help us to just, again, be all that, that we are called to be in this life, God. Maybe you're here this morning and you have no direction in life. That you're just a wanderer in this world. You don't know where you're going. The Bible is a signpost. It's a guidepost to give you direction. To teach you what's right as well as what's not right. To teach you who God is and what he's done for you. Jesus said, I am the way. The world tells you there's all kinds of ways. Yeah, but they all end in death. They are, they're all dead ends. But Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. If God has spoken to your heart this morning and the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, as the worship team leads us in a time of worship, this time is for you. You get up out of your seat. You make your way towards the steps up front. And when the song is over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.